Hi, I'm Andrew, and this is the Daily Keenon podcast about today's global crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is dramatically disrupting not only our own daily lives, but also society itself. This show features conversations with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers about the deeper economic, political, and technological consequences of the pandemic. It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. Every generation has an anthem, a song that somehow summarizes it. My generation, the so-called boomer generation, has a particularly good anthem, I think. Um, it is, of course, my generation, the the Who song that came out in October 1965. I hope I die before I get old, they sang. Uh, in October 1965, the average boomer was 19 years old. Now, of course, the narrative of the boomer generation is that some people in The Who died, of course, Keith Moon, most famously, the crazy drummer. But Daltrey and Townsend are still around, and the boomers are still around, and they're hogging everything. They got all the money and all the health care and all the attention. Uh, they are perhaps the selfish generation. That at least according to Jill Philip, uh, Philip, uh, Jill Filipovich, uh, Jill Filipovich, Jill Filipovich, uh, <laughs> that at least according to Jill Filipovich, um, the author of OK Boomer, Let's Talk. Jill is a proud member of Gen X. Je, I was going to call you Jen, but you're Jill. Uh, Jill, uh, Jill um, that old Who song, My Generation, Hope I Die Before I Get Old. Is that the era that we didn't all die? The boomers are still around? I mean, the boomers are the longest living generation in American history. So a lot of them are indeed still around. Uh, I wouldn't say the error is that they didn't die, um, more that they have maintained their near total grip on political power. Not only political, but economic and cultural as well. Isn't that your point in OK Boomer? Absolutely. Baby boomers, long American's largest generation, have really hoarded wealth and power. And much of that has not been extended down and shared with people of my generation. I'm a millennial, I'm on the older side of the millennial generation, but we're now the largest generation of adults in the United States. And yet, despite being 22% of American adults, millennials hold just 3% of American wealth. Whereas when boomers were on average 35, they held more like 21%. So millennials really are behind, and it's not just because you know we're lazy avocado toast eaters. Uh, it is because there just wasn't the same ladder for us to climb up into the middle class as baby boomers had. I have to admit, I'm rather proud of my boomer generation. Why should we give away our money to the millennials or, 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 or any of the younger generations? We keep it till we die. Well, what's our obligation, morally or otherwise, to share our wealth or our power? Well, I think what you've really seen uh, happen throughout the baby boom generation is a consolidation of wealth and, of in, and a sense of individualism. So I think what baby boomers often don't see or understand 
is how many hands up they had to help pull them up the ladder. That doesn't mean baby boomers didn't work hard for what they have, of course they did. But baby boomers came of age uh, in, at least in the United States, in an era of rapid scale up of investment in higher education, which made baby boomers at the time the most educated Americans. They flooded into college in record numbers. And college was affordable because government made it affordable. Housing was affordable because there were massive federal investments in building the suburbs and in giving preferential mortgages, mostly to white families. But that did enable tremendous numbers of baby boomers and their parents to really get that toehold into the middle class. What you've seen happen for millennials is there was a rapid uh, deinvestment from higher education and a shift toward private student loans rather than, for example, federal and state grants. So you saw education costs skyrocket. I mean, when my dad went to law school, he paid his tuition by working in the Chicago steel mills over the summer. When I went to law school, I mean, there wasn't a job other than maybe like drug running that I could have taken that was gonna pay law school tuition in the United States. So I left law school six figures in debt. And I'm certainly you know, not an outlier in my generation for that. Whereas baby boomers you know, maybe had a few thousand dollars in student loan debt on average. So we entered adulthood with really, really different uh, financial circumstances. Millennials entered adulthood into a recession. And then we've also entered a universe in which housing costs have rapidly risen. So the average house today is more than twice as expensive as it was in 1970, even adjusting for inflation. So we have higher costs, higher levels of debt, and then fewer work opportunities. But what do you make of the, of the boomer rebellion, the counterculture of the 60s, the words of the, the, the My Generation anthem? Uh, it's not all about money, is it? Um, is it, uh, Jill, uh, does your generation, the Gen Xs, do you have an anthem? So I'm actually not, I can't claim to be Gen X. They're between baby boomers and millennials. They're a little older than me. Um, I don't think millennials- So what are you? I'm a millennial. Do you have an anthem, the millennials? I don't think that we do. And it, you know, it's a, it's a funny uh, kind of unifier of every baby boomer I talk to, whether they were born in the late 40s or the early 60s, every baby boomer swears up and down their generation has the best music. <laughs> was ever made in the history of the world. Um, so, well, you know, I, I'll, I'll give is that, that. Is there any truth to that? I, I, I think that they can take that. Millennials certainly, you know, I don't know that Britney Spears really competes uh, <laughs> with like The Clash uh, or Bob Dylan or The Beatles or The Stones. So I'll, I'll give boomers that one. You guys have great music. What about on the, um, the education front, uh, Jill? Uh, you're saying that everyone's borrowing to go to university, but isn't, and, and the other things you mentioned, aren't those a reflection of shifts in the, the, the globalized economy? It's not really a generational issue. It reflects the, the different nature of economic reality. It certainly reflects the fact that the bottom has really fallen out of working class wages in the U.S. That while you used to be able in my in the boomer generation, um, especially among older boomers, to be able to work a blue collar job and still support a family, that doesn't really exist for folks in my generation. So in many ways, a college degree is the new high school diploma. 
it's sort of the bottom of what you need to make it into the middle class. And millennials knew that, which is why we flooded into universities, why we're the most educated adults now in American history. But we were told that with those degrees would come higher wages. And that hasn't really happened. Yes, people with college degrees make more than people without, but that's because the incomes of people without have dropped so low. Um, so you know, I don't know that that promise was met, and I'm not sure it is just a result of globalization. Obviously, these are challenges that folks face all over the world. But when you look at you know, America's peer nations, when you look at Western Europe, you don't see a lot of young people that are entering adulthood with five and six figure student loan debt, unless they went to school in the United States. Um, you see similar employment challenges, for example, that millennials face in the US, but you don't have a lot of you know, German 25 year olds entering the job market owing $200,000 on a student loan. So it's, it tends to be more of an American phenomenon as a consequence of a, the privatized nature of American education. Some people, of course, Jill, see the world in terms of class struggle, rich against poor. Some people see it in racial terms, white against blacks, some perhaps in religious terms. It seems to me as though your reading of history is rooted in a generational struggle. For you, there really is a struggle between the boomers and everyone else. Is that fair? I would say it's a little more complicated than that, but I think you see uh, the class struggles that many of us are talking about now, uh, longstanding racial struggles in the United States, really encapt encapsulated within these generational struggles and debates. So for example, millennials are the most racially diverse adults in American history. And so when you look what, at- What okay, does that mean, racially diverse? It means that we're the least white. Millennials are about 56% white. Um, and I would have to go look at the stats for uh, other racial groups, uh, African-Americans, Latinos, Asians, um, and people that are mixed race or ch choose multiple of those categories. Um, but we're much more diverse than baby boomers are or were. There are more immigrants in the millennial generation than in any other. And so given that, I mean, those facts, also animate why millennials struggle. When you have a generation that is exceptionally racially diverse in a country that has systematically excluded people of color from things like owning a home in a good neighborhood that grows in value, which the US has, has done, that's going to impact children and those people's children as well. And so you're seeing all of that come to fruition with millennials and same with class. You know, when we talk about the consolidation of wealth into a few people's hands, yes, those few people tend to be older and they, you know, more boomers um, have more wealth than millennials do. Um, but what you really see is that so much of what animates millennial struggles are the same things that we're talking about in terms of class struggles, in terms of race struggles. And when we talk about trying to you know, get justice, to make sure that the working class is taken care of, to make sure that people of color have the same opportunities as white people do in the United States, every aspect of that you see really playing out among millennials to a pretty magnified degree. Marx, of course, famously talked about class struggle. Malcolm X wrote about uh, racial struggle and racial identity. Uh, do you believe that most people have a generational identity when they think of themselves? They think of themselves in terms of being boomers or millennials or Gen Xs? Well, 
I think especially younger boomers don't really want to see, be seen as boomers. <laughs> it's often the first thing I hear from folks who were born in you know, the late 50s or early 60s is, you know, I'm not, I'm not really a boomer. I'm not one of them. Um, no, I, I don't think that generational identity uh, is as salient as, say, racial identity. Um, that said, I do think it is a useful tool, obviously an imperfect and a fuzzy one, but still a useful one, of understanding kind of what animates a particular era in American life. What has shaped my life versus yours and how we can understand the political forces uh, that opened up certain opportunities for you and, and different ones for me. I tend to feel a little sorry, I, I admit, for the millennials. One of the things I learned from your book is that the average boomer has had 11 sexual partners and the millennials only eight. Why aren't you having more sex? You yeah. seem, uh, and more seriously, and I guess this is in a, in a sense serious, but there does seem to be a, a very serious quality to, to being uh, a millennial, uh, one that the, 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 the boomers don't show as much. They had more fun, the boomers, shall we? Is it because they had more money? I think boomers certainly had more resources. They arguably had more fun. You know, I think when you look at millennials, we are a generation that was raised by helicopter parents, right? By parents who are very- What's a helicopter parent? Helicopter parent is a parent who's quite invested in their child's outcome and who kind of helicopters around them, making sure, you know, they have their seatbelt on and they aren't sticking a knife in the toaster. Um, right that going on will, you know, also try to make sure their kid is getting straight A's and- um, And not having any sex, of course. And not having any sex. <laughs> Millennials, we are the generation of, first, this big moral panic about hookup culture. So when I was in high school and even college, it was this whole cottage industry of more conservative folks, very, very worried that millennials and especially millennial girls were having too much sex. And it was sex without strings attached and it was hookups and this was going to break our hearts and damage our brains and make it impossible for us to get married or live happy lives. And when then the research showed that that wasn't really true, that millennials have fewer sexual partners than boomers had, that many women in college are either single or in perfectly happy monogamous relationships um, and weren't being psychologically or emotionally damaged by hookup culture, the narrative then changed to oh wait, millennials aren't having enough sex. And now is that a bad thing? And so the, the only kind of unifying factor seems to be an insistence that the kids are doing it wrong, which is not exactly a new idea. Well, perhaps the millennial generation should be called rather than millennial miserable. <laughs> Maybe, I mean, I, I do think that as much as there are stereotypes of millennials as these big city dwellers, you know, who are Instagramming their vacations and leading beautiful lives, you know, eating their avocado toast and sipping their nine dollars. What's this avocado toast you keep on bringing out? Everybody's, it's the mo it's like the biggest millennial stereotype that we don't own houses because we spend all our money on avocado toast. Who, who has created that stereotype? I haven't heard of it. You haven't heard of it? I'm, I'm envious of you. Um, it comes up pretty often in, you know, for example, Fox News stories or... Mm various hand-wringing features about why millennials are so behind. Um, but you're right, we are, I don't want to say we're a miserable generation, but we are a pretty isolated and lonely generation. Yeah, I, the other thing I read is that what, one in five of you claims that uh, you have no social or family relations at all, that you're totally isolated. 
yeah, one in five of us claims that we have no friends and no acquaintances. And that's, you know, beyond our immediate family. You are the miserable generation. How are you going to have some more fun, Jill? Come on. This is, this is, this is miserable. You, you need to... You need to at least begin listening to The Who to behave like Keith Moon. You know Keith Moon, who was the, the Who's drummer? He, did, he, he was famous because he used to throw everything out the window and he got banned from hotels. He used to have 11 sexual partners every night. So perhaps there's something to learn from him. Maybe, maybe. Or from Keith Richards, who's going to outlive all ah, of Ah, right. Keith, yeah, Keith Richards is the, the ultimate. He's not really a boomer. He's a little older. Uh, but yeah, I mean, these are guys you need to learn from. I do think, yeah, I don't know that millennials are not having as much sex or as, you know, as reckless of lives, uh, just because, you know, we're sort of personality wise, more conservative. Although I think we were raised to be relatively responsible. I think it's because a lot of us feel like we're standing on the edge of a cliff and that the stakes are incredibly high and that there's incredibly far to fall. And so, you know, obviously we are. Uh, what do you mean, full? Full where? Well, I think for a lot of us, there's a sense that, you know, if, especially in the US, if you are physically injured or get very sick, you can bankrupt your entire family. Our healthcare costs are out of control. There is already, you know, millennials already can't, certainly can't afford houses. Many of us can barely afford the rent month to month. We are less likely, much less likely than boomers were at our age to have full time employment. The idea of having a pension is a, a joke. I mean, you may as well tell us we can go adopt a pet unicorn. Um, we're much less likely to have you know, things like retirement savings or even an employer that offers retirement savings. We're more likely to be cobbling together gig work. So everything feels like we're always walking on the edge. And if we happen to dip a toe off, we have a really long way to fall. Whereas I think baby boomers had a sense of they can kind of screw up every once in a while and that's normal and they'll be taken care of. Okay, boomer, let's talk. What's this talking, Jill? Is your generation, and this is again, I guess, a stereotype, are you obsessed with talking, with therapy, with confession? Are you a return to the confessional culture of the Roman Catholic Church? Well, it's funny, you know, that's the stereotype about baby boomers. When Tom Wolfe wrote that New York Magazine cover story, The Me Generation, he was talking about boomers, who he said were narcissistic navel gazers, mm. obsessed with confession and kind of new agey religion. So a lot of the stereotypes about baby boomers are now coming back on millennials. And I'm not sure they're any more true of us than they were of you. But this talking, when you say in the title of your book, OK, Boomer, Let's Talk, what should the conversation be about? So the title really is a call for baby boomers to kind of step back from the stereotypes of millennials and to take a hard look at what our lives actually look like, as well as how we got here. And I think you can't really understand how to move forward until we understand what happened to the promise that baby boomers grew up with, that millennials weren't able to climb up that same ladder, and what needs to happen next. And part of what I'm asking from baby boomers is to be thoughtful about, all right, how can we share, and baby boomers obviously have a tremendous amount of wisdom. How can they share not only that wisdom, but also power? How can we make sure that millennials are at the decision-making table? Right now, we're largely excluded from it in a way that boomers just weren't. So I'm asking boomers to let us pull up a seat. 
And do you have any political models for this? Are there political figures in the, the, in the millennial generation who are articulating this vision? I mean, after all, we're about to have an election in America fought between two 70-year-olds, the most powerful political figure arguably in America is an 80-year-old woman. Um, so you can't blame everything on the boomers. This is uh, an older generation than the boomers. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, we've had boomer presidents ever since Bill Clinton. Um, Clinton, George W. Bush, Donald Trump, all baby boomers. Joe Biden would be our first non-boomer president in several decades because he's older. So I'm not sure that that's quite trending in the right direction. But there are, we, we elected a record number of millennials to Congress in the 2018 midterms. Still pretty pathetic. We started out around 1%. Now millennials make up about 6% of Congress. But I think when you look at what those millennial Congresswomen, people like Lauren Underwood, people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, what they push for and what they fight for are the issues that millennials overwhelmingly say are the most important to us. Things like combating climate change, things like affordable health care, things like affordable childcare, uh, affordable higher education, all of the puzzle pieces that we look at and we realize this is what makes life incredibly difficult for us. And it may frankly be too late to solve some of these questions for millennials, but it's definitely not too late for Gen Zers and for our kids. Finally, um, uh, Jill, uh, uh, everyone of course should read OK Boomer, Let's Talk, a fascinating journey through the, the world of this generational conflict. Uh, strange times. You're in Brooklyn. I'm in Berkeley. What should be? What else should people be reading um, in our coronavirus summer of 2020? Uh, luckily, there are a lot of great books out right now. I really am enjoying Sayward Darby's latest book. It's about the women of white supremacy. Um, and Morgan Jerkins also has an incredible book that is part memoir. Um, and she's just an absolutely beautiful writer. So I would recommend those two women and their books that are out now. You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.